Welcome to the audio channel of the Reverend Dr. C.H.E. Sadoffel. His purpose is to preach Christ, teach the Bible, and make disciples. Now let us open our Bibles and our hearts as we listen to him proclaim the Word of God. So church, I would invite the congregation to stand and please turn to Psalm chapter 51, verse 10, as we will first pray and then read the Word of God. Psalm chapter 51, verse 10. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. You were as a lamp to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen his servant to deliver a word of truth so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. Psalm chapter 51 verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Please be seated. Brother Evans, put the first slide up. Thank you. Sometimes, church, the hardest part about trying to decide what to preach on is finding your verse. Is finding the book of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, post the cross, what Jesus said, pre-cross, figurative story, parable. That's hard. Because once you find your text, the sermon is the text. Once you find the text, then life gets easy. Now, when I began thinking about what I would preach on today, I had a really difficult time. Because I not only had to decide what I would preach on the, uh, the Sunday that immediately followed my father's passing, I also had to decide on what I would tell the church that he, that he led, shepherded, and taught to for 26 years. And the difficulty now is, what's the text? What now does God want me to deliver to his people? When I began thinking about what I was going to preach on today, I developed preacher's block. And for those of you who aren't preachers, let me explain to you what that means. Preacher's block is when what you want to say, God says no. And no matter what you try to write down on paper, no matter what you try to formulate in your mind, God frustrates you and he says stop. It then became clear to me this morning that I don't want to preach to you at all. But rather, 
What I want to do is allow my father, the Reverend Dr. Charles Haddon Spurgeon Sadafo Jr., to preach to you one final time through me. I want the church to hear the final sermon from the Reverend Dr. Charles Sadafo Jr., not with a video, not with the playing of an audio clip, but through the heart and mouth of his son. Because once it dawned upon me this morning that he would speak to you and not me, all the preaching roadblocks vanished. And now the sermon wrote itself. It's not going to be a surprise. This morning, we're going to talk about heart condition. Now, why is this idea so important? Why did our late pastor spend an entire career preaching and teaching about heart condition? That simple, because the condition of your heart determines your condition in the eyes of God. And your condition in the eyes of God determines whether you live forever or whether you die forever. Heart condition is important because God is the only one who can see what your spiritual heart looks like. God is the great capital P physician and only he knows if your spiritual heart is clean and healthy or impure and diseased. God evaluates heart condition, not men. And when we say heart, what we're talking about, church, is the real, no pretending you. We're not talking about the version of you that other people see on the outside, glammed and dolled up for Sunday morning. We're seeing the version of you that's really real, that no one else gets to see except the creator who made you in the first place. The Bible uses the word heart to refer to the ruling center of the entire person, the fountain of all your desires. Your heart determines who you are and therefore how you live. Your heart refers to your character, your personality, your mind, and your will. What's in your heart? determines what you actually and truly want. And the Bible is saturated with verses. It's dripping with verses that talk about a person's heart condition. Ezekiel 36, 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Proverbs 3.5. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your 
heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 4.23, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. In Matthew 5.8, in Matthew 5.8, the God of the universe, Jesus Christ says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, a spiritual father, Paul, writes to his spiritual son Timothy, and he says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And then in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. When Jesus Christ was asked, what is the most important commandment in the entire Bible? When he was asked, what is the, the, the imperative command of pinnacle importance from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22? Jesus says, the greatest commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Beloved, heart condition is not a game. In our theme verse this morning, Psalm 51, verse 10, was written by a man after God's own heart. King David. And in that verse, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. David prays to his maker and he says, Create. It's a supplication. He's asking God to do something. Now, when David asks God to create, guess what? David is already created. David is already a grown-up human being. He's a grown adult male. When David makes this supplication, he's already saved. He already has faith in God as King and Lord of the universe. When David writes this, he's already been anointed. He's already been crowned King of Israel. But when David makes this plea, he realizes there's still something left to be made. David realizes that on the outside, things may be whole, but on the inside, there is something missing. And since David knows that God is a creator and that God made the world out of nothing, he entreats the Lord to create something new inside of him. And what does David say? What does David ask God to create? He says, Lord, create in me a clean heart. David doesn't say, make my old heart clean. David doesn't say, reform my diseased heart whose arteries are blocked. He doesn't say that. 
He says, oh God, make a new clean heart that is fresh. This word create comes from the Hebrew word bara. That verb is only used when God is the subject. Because when God bara, when God creates, it's creation out of nothing. God doesn't start with anything natural. God doesn't start with any part of you or me when he creates a new heart. He's creating a spiritual heart. Therefore, God does not start with a natural human being. He starts with himself. He starts with something that is not natural. He starts with something that is supernatural and now make something out of nothing. Beloved, when you get serious about God, when you get really real about God, you realize something very quickly. It makes no sense pretending. It makes no sense seeming to be pious. It makes no sense seeming to be someone or something you are not on the outside. You can fool your coworkers. You can fool other people in your church. You can fool your elders. You can fool me all day long, but you can never fool God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, quote, that the heart is the rudder of the soul, end quote. Therefore, if we don't have a clean heart wrought by a holy God, we're not sailing anywhere nice. Now let's make sure we have our context. Psalm 51 is the classic psalm on repentance. What is repentance? It's turning away from sin because of a change of mind. Meaning David, in writing the psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, guess what? David knows with his mind that he is the problem. That he is the one who desired sin and therefore committed the sin. David doesn't blame the man. David does not blame the serpent. David doesn't blame the devil. David doesn't blame a situation. David does not blame his skin color. David does not blame his sex. David knows he is the problem because of his own sin. That is why he comes to God, so that God, by his grace, can cleanse David. What David knows, beloved, in this psalm is that the man who is the problem cannot create his own new heart, which is why David prays to God. Beloved, if you want a heart that is right with God, only God can make it, can set it right. Now let's make sure we're clear about something. Improving heart condition does not mean simply telling someone, get your act together. 
It's not that. It means that without God's grace, nothing ever comes together in the first place. A man does not become more spiritual by natural efforts. You don't become more spiritual by willpower or self-discipline. You become more spiritual by the grace of God. Where a spiritual God now rots a spiritual heart in one of his own. Using figurative language now, God is the surgeon who performs the spiritual heart operation. And you could say that God's hands are perfectly clean because he is perfect, because he is sinless. So when God, who has holy clean hands, puts a clean heart in you, that heart is now clean. But if a person now who has dirty hands tries to put a clean heart in you, it's not going to work. Because now that heart is tainted. Now those dirty hands have polluted and tainted that which is pure. Dirty hands cannot handle a clean heart. It must be God who is the agent of our heart renewal. Once again, David asks God to create within him a clean heart. And once that new spiritual heart begins beating, it pumps new spiritual blood, which begets new spiritual inclinations. A spiritual heart that is wrought by God, church, desires God, thirsts, after God. It yearns to be with God. When you have a heart condition wrought by God, you have a new set of religious affections. Church, what differentiates someone who is very pious versus someone who is worldly? It's not that God changes. God is always loving. God is always gracious. God is always all-satisfying. But the person who has a heart wrought by God now has the capacity to actually now see God as God and enjoy Him. Someone who doesn't have a heart wrought by God simply lacks the capacity to see Jesus Christ as the most precious treasure in the universe. Church, when we talk about heart condition, we're talking about a person who step by step and day by day says, God, I must decrease as you increase. We're talking about a person who realizes that God is the answer to everything, everywhere, all the time. We're talking about a person who prays to God and says, God, rid me of my own warped desires of what I think I should be. God, rid me of projecting my wishes or projecting the reality that I want on you. God, don't allow my will to be done. I truly and earnestly want your will to be done. So therefore, Lord, rid me of myself so that now I can be the man, so that now I can be the woman that you have called me to be.
so that who I am, the words that I speak, and the deeds that I do will be animated by a heart that has one object, the glory of God. When my father preached heart condition year after year, one of the central themes implicit in his message was to desire God. And the only way a person actually yearns after God is if they have a heart for God. The only way a person earnestly worships God in spirit and in truth is if their service comes from a sincere heart. A man with an unclean heart will never see God, will never know God, and will never be redeemed by God. They will never enjoy God and never know the supreme satisfaction that is in Jesus Christ. They may have the sense that something on the inside is missing, but they will labor and try in vain to fill that eternal hole in their heart. But when a man has now been graced by God, he now, in Christ, has the supreme desire of his heart. And that is the man who will now see, know, and be next to God. For as Psalm 24, verses 3 to 4 says, Who may ascend unto the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Church, the man who has a heart wrought by God is the only man who is actually living. They're the only person who will truly live because now their heart is not filled with things. Now their heart is not filled with stuff. It's not filled with worries, anxieties, secular ideas or philosophies. It's not filled with human feelings or mere emotions. It's filled with God. And when a spiritual heart is now filled, saturated, and brimming with the best there is, that is the person who now finally is free because they are contented in God himself. A heart that desires God is alien to the natural world because the one who puts it there is not of this world. It's God. He is heavenly. He is divine. This is why God must do all the work. Church, this is why Jesus Christ died for the elect and he accomplished redemption for us so that that redemption might, may now be applied by the Holy Spirit in creating within people new hearts. And the person with the new heart is now the individual who lives the genuine Christian life. Now let's make sure we're clear. The genuine Christian life is not a perfect life. The genuine Christian life is not a sinless life. It's merely a life that has a zeal, that has a passion, and that has a desire 
for Jesus Christ. Newsflash, Jesus did not die on a cross to redeem double-minded, half-hearted people. Jesus Christ died on a cross to redeem people who are now all in because they realize Jesus is all and they're not going to settle for anything less than the best there is, God himself. But the only heart that can see Jesus for who he really is is if it's wrought by God. Hence David prays, create within me a new heart, O Lord. Church, this is why our late pastor spent an entire ministry preaching about heart condition. Because if you have the love of God driving your spiritual heart, there is nothing else in life that you need. And here's the beautiful thing. The reason why any person loves or can love God is because God first loved us. And once he starts loving you, he never ever lets go. You are his forever. And that is the freedom with which you now live, knowing that through Christ you have everlasting assurance. The power of a loved one passing is that it gives those who mourn a precious gift. It gives us the gift of perspective. The passing of a loved one now means that the living now take that passing to heart. And more than any other time in life, what we now do is we honestly, we earnestly stop, we think, we pause, and we honestly begin considering the long-term implications of our choices. We consider if where we are is where we actually intended to be. We consider what actually matters in life. And we consider what is truly meaningful. We consider what is the meaning, what is the purpose, what is the driving force of my life. Now let's make sure we're clear, church. Our late pastor right now is with the Lord. So we don't have to worry about him. He's safe. Now it's time to begin self-examination. And the question I have for you this morning is, what is in your spiritual heart? What is your spiritual heart condition? Do you love God? Then live for him. Don't wait. Don't delay. Live for him now with zeal and passion. Do you love God's truth? Do you trust his word? Do you comprehend what Jesus Christ actually did on the cross? Do you understand 
that what Jesus accomplished was something no human being could ever do to give of his life so you could now be pardoned so that God, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, can create a new heart in you, where Jesus endured the wrath of God for us so we wouldn't have to. Do you love God's purposes? Do you love his timing even if it's disruptive? Do you love his plans even if they don't make any sense to you right now? Do you love God's people even if you had a choice you would choose differently? Do you love God's marvelous light even when it hurts your eyes? Do you have a heart that pants after God? Then look to Jesus Christ, the person who really in real life was historically born, lived, died on a cross, and three days later rose from the dead. Then live for him now so that you can die for him. Then live for him now so that even in dying, you will be full of life. Realize, beloved, there are no phonies in heaven. There are no actors in heaven. There are no pretenders in heaven. There is nothing fake or not real in heaven. There are only people who really and truly love and desire God. And they desire God not because they're special. They desire God because God in them has created a new spiritual heart. So let us then, like David, pray now. Pray tomorrow morning. Pray for the rest of our lives each and every day. And say, God, by your grace, create within me a new heart, O Lord, and renew within me a steadfast spirit. The grace of God is magnificent because God's unmerited favor gives and keeps on giving. It raises a dead sinner to new life. That's called regeneration. It then pardons the sinner and says, not guilty. That's justification. It then grows a person's spiritual heart throughout their entire life. That's called sanctification. And in the end, what God's grace does is he raises all of his elect to new imperishable resurrection bodies. That's called glorification. Now, church, today is a unique sermon because we are grieving the loss of our late pastor. But I want the church to realize that by God's grace, our late pastor right now has more life than we do. He's actually really living, we're not. He's actually enjoying the fullness of life that God always intended. We're the ones who are at a deficit. He has no more pain or discomfort. He has completely ceased to sin. His spiritual heart manifested in thought, action, attitude, deed, and behavior will now once and forever be Perfect.
And best of all, he no longer sees Jesus through a glass dimly. He sees him face to face. Church, even when it hurts, we trust God no matter what. We hope in God no matter what. Our faith never dies. Why? Because he is risen. Our hope never dies. Why? Because he is risen. What the resurrection tells us is that when the grave receives its tenant, that is not a reason for lament because although the physical body may remain in the ground for a time, a man's soul goes to paradise. You see, the grave could not hold our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, because he is the king who conquered death and took away its sting. And although Jesus was bruised, battered, and pierced, he rose in power. He rose in power in a new, imperishable, eternal body. And because of what Christ accomplished for us, his people will also rise in real, renewed, true, material bodies. So when we see him in eternity, we will be like him. Let us take comfort in this thought. That trial, sorrow, sickness, weakness, and pain can and will hurt our earthly bodies. Can and will hurt our earthly tabernacles. But for the child of God, their best is yet to come. When we die, where we die, how we die, where we are buried, what kind of funeral we have, who says what at our wake, in the end matters little. What does matter is how shall we rise? And in Jesus Christ, the answer is always the same. We shall rise with him. Church, we're going to miss my father. We're going to miss our late pastor. But let your tears be sweetened with heavenly joy, sweetened with the honey of heavenly delights, knowing that he is finally and forever free. He is free to enjoy his Lord forever. And just as he is free because of Christ, we shall be free in Christ, for it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Church, it hurts, I know. Church, we grieve, I know. But we can do this, we will get through this, and we shall be strong and persevere while remaining under this. For we do not stand alone, we stand with one another. And the rock upon which we stand has been fortified and built by God himself. But the best news is this, 
As the psalmist writes, when God puts you on the mountain that is Zion, he doesn't just do that. He then surrounds you with mountains that is himself. And as long as you trust in the Lord, you shall remain on that mountain, and the precious Lord will not let anyone or anything to unsettle you on his rock. My father had a natural family. Everyone here, though, are members of my father's spiritual family. And I want to share with the church this morning, in closing, something that no one else has ever heard other than his immediate family members. So when my father originally became sick about a year and a half ago, I don't know if it was a blessing or a curse, but having all of my medical training in my mind, I began computing. I began strategizing. And I began using my medical knowledge to see a potential reality coming down the road. And I actually, last summer, began then computing and thinking about a reality in which my father would no longer be here. And there was a book. The church gave pictures uh, about a year and a half ago, and we used all of those pictures and used all of those testimonials and put them in a book which celebrated his 70th birthday. And as I thought about writing what I would say to my dad to say happy 70th birthday, in my mind, I also had a potential future in sight. And I didn't know then, but I actually began writing my father's eulogy a year ago. And when I did, I looked to 2 Timothy chapter 4 for inspiration. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, a spiritual father, Paul, writes to a spiritual son, Timothy. He's basically encouraging another man in the faith, and he basically tells them, Timothy, you can do this. Timothy, remember who we serve. You can do this. So using that letter as inspiration, I flipped the order. And now a natural son was writing to his natural father. And I was essentially telling him, Dad, yes, we can do this by God's grace. And thank you for showing me how. So in closing, I will read the letter I wrote to my father. I thank God who, by the power of his grace, allowed me to come into this world and be raised by a father like you. More and more each and every day, I am reminded of the sincere faith that is within you. That sincere faith has not imparted a spirit of timidity, but one of truth, boldness, power, perseverance, steadfastness, discipline, kindness, hope, and love. 
You may have raised two natural sons, but throughout the past 25 years of ministry, you have adopted, raised, and nurtured many spiritual sons and daughters. The most precious gift you have given to all of us is your example. It is an example that stressed inward heart condition, not outward superficialities. It is an example not ashamed of our Lord. It is an example that delights to be a slave of Christ and rejoices to partake in suffering for the gospel. It is an example that presses on towards holiness and the precious truth of God's eternal word. You have dutifully preached the word of God in the presence of many witnesses, entrusting knowledge and understanding to a faithful remnant who are now able to teach others also. Indeed, you have endured many things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. You were called many years ago to the pastorate and have fulfilled your calling to the highest degree. You preached the word, were ready in season and out of season. You were proved, rebuked, and exhorted with great patience and instruction. You have fought the good fight, endured sound doctrine, were sober in all things, endured hardship, and fulfilled your ministry. What then shall we say to all these things? Your grandchildren adore you. Your sons appreciate and look up to you. Your wife cherishes you. The church loves you and thanks you. Your extended spiritual family loves you and thanks you. Truly, at the appointed time, there are many others who will thank you when they meet you in paradise. They will thank you for pointing them to the one who holds the keys to eternity, Jesus Christ. Dad, you have faithfully fulfilled, are fulfilling, and will fulfill the calling our Lord has placed on your life. Your relentless passion for the truth has gifted me and many others with the greatest natural gift a son could ever ask for, a faithful, living, and breathing example of how to be a godly man. Our gracious Lord has told us that a child ought to honor his parents, but you deserve more than my honor. You deserve more than the heartfelt gratitude of the church. By God's grace, you have inherited the most excellent words a man can hear. Those words are proclaimed by God himself when he delightfully looks at you and says, well done my good and faithful servant. To my father, my pastor, my mentor, my role model, I love you and I celebrate you. Your birthday, August 8th, 2018, is not to be celebrated because of the day. It is to be celebrated for the glorious 70 years of life that led up to it. To God be the glory forever your firstborn son, Elijah.
Let us pray. Precious Lord, you are king, you are sovereign, you are true, you are altogether beautiful, and you are wonderful. Lord Jesus, you are the most beautiful, contenting, satisfying reality. What varies, Lord, is not your magnificence. What varies, Lord, is our capacity to see you for who, we, for who you truly are. I ask you, Heavenly Father, today to send the Holy Spirit and allow him to be the agent of our heart renewal. I pray on behalf of your people as we allow the legacy of the word of heart condition that now reverberates in our minds. Precious Lord, create within me, create within them, create within us a new heart and renew within us a steadfast spirit. Lord, help us to rid me of me. Lord, help us to rid ourselves of ourselves. We seek not to be who we want to be. We seek for you to transform us into who you have called us to be. We seek not our will. We seek the will of the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient God whose will will stand forever. None of us can labor to become more spiritual. None of us can labor to become more divine. We can only, Lord Jesus, become more like you by your divine hand. We implore you, precious Lord, have mercy upon us for the prime desire of our hearts is the best there is. We will not settle, precious Lord, for second-rate imitations. We will not settle, precious Lord, for anything that is third-rate. We desire you. Now open our eyes, we beg you, and open our hearts by your grace that we may delight and appreciate you for all that you are, all satisfying, all gracious, all living, all light, all truth, so that we, O oh Lord, by our lives, deeds, and actions may reflect your splendor and your beauty to all those who are around us. We yield ourselves before you today, O oh Lord, and say, here I am, here we are, send us. Here I am, here we are, use us. Here I am, here we are. Grace us, O oh Lord, that we may do the work that you have called us to do. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. To God be the glory forever. Amen. We do hope that you have been enriched and equipped by the preaching of Dr. Sadoffel. For more valuable resources, please visit WCSK.org. Until next time, peace be with you, and to God be the glory forever.